You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. What's going on, Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. Today, we're going to be doing another Fan Friday where I bring on a guest to chat about the silver and black. And then we're going to use the last 15 minutes or so to do a Q&A slash hot take sesh with Spurs fans. Today, I'm joined by Sam Ferris of Draft Dummies and host of the Locked On Draft podcast. How are you doing today, Sam? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on. Uh, Noah, you were one of the first guests we had on too, and we've <laughs> both kind of been on each other's show. So always excited to talk with you and especially about uh, the NBA draft. Well, I appreciate the kind words. I love your content. been listening to your stuff. I've been listening to a lot of other great draft minds across, you know, different platforms. So I'm super excited to get this started. And we'll just go ahead and hop into the topic. So the names Alperin Shingun and Josh Giddy, they've been prevalent across Spurs Twitter probably for the last few weeks now. You know, some fans really want them, some fans are super against them. And both of them have been mocked to San Antonio by several national media outlets from ESPN to The Athletic to Sports Illustrated. And they're both interesting prospects to me in their own right, but we'll go ahead and start with Shingun. So I want to sort of get your feel for him. Like, what, what do you think his ceiling is? What do you think he brings to the table for an NBA team? And, and then maybe what are some of your concerns or areas improvement for Shingun coming into the NBA? Yeah, so to start kind of high level with these international prospects, I do think that I'm higher than the consensus on this international crop as a whole. I actually have four, four of these international prospects are in my top 15 in terms of my board. And the two guys that we're going to talk about today are both in there. So I like those guys both in terms of prospects that the Spurs should be looking at. When starting with Shen Goon, the first thing you have to look at is the production and the skill level at his age is borderline elite. It's really, really good. So primarily offensively right now, what he does is a lot of post up. He'll get the ball kind of... Also, in the mid-range kind of can work anywhere within the three-point line, but right now he's just a fantastic back-to-the-basket big, has elite hands, elite feet, and has basically as... The touch that he has is basically as good as you're going to see with any prospect. And so right now, offensively, I think he has a ton of talent that's comparable with most anyone in this draft, maybe outside of the top four or five guys. Yeah, and, and he's someone who I'm not super high on. I wouldn't say mm-hmm. that he like would fall out of my top 15 if I were to do a big board or something like that. I think he's really intriguing. I know Kevin O'Connor said he sort of has shades of like DeMontis Sabonis. Even in yeah. the video breakdown he did, I think a few days ago, he mentioned Nikola Jokic, which is obviously super high praise, and I don't want people to get their expectations twisted with that. I do think it's super important, though. Like you said, he's in Europe in one of the best leagues, dominating grown men at 18 years old, you know, about a 2010 guy or 19.9, actually, I think were his numbers. And so I like him a lot. But one of the things that I wanted to talk about with you is if you're the Spurs and you have the 12th overall pick, do you go with Shingun at 12? I, I, and maybe my perception is incorrect but some of the I have some defensive concerns when it comes to him and I think adding him to the team maybe it doesn't make a lot of sense and and I would love to get your opinion because I trust your take on this more than mine and I think you you can really educate not just Spurs fans but just general NBA fans who might be listening to this later or even now who are in the room yeah for sure so to go off of your first point 
you know, comparing him to other Euro bigs, we, we don't want to compare anybody to Nikola Jokic. He just won MVP. That guy is a one of one. He's a unique talent. But at the same time, Shengun is basically better than every Euro big. Like whoever your favorite Euro big is, Shengun is better than they were at the same point in time in terms of at this same age. Like he is, his production is pretty much incredible and anybody that's put up this type of production at that age has just found a way to be a good nba player so that's that is something that you can pretty much count on in terms of the defense though those are the questions in terms of in the modern nba we see that you need bigs that are scheme versatile that can't be played off the floor and there just aren't that many of those and that's certainly the worry with Shengun is is a team in the playoffs just going to put him in pick and roll over and over again and yeah look that's a concern defensively it's well behind the offensive side of the ball for him I'm not going to argue that but I would stress that he is still so young and when I talk to you know people about some of these prospects and specifically about Shengun and Giddy, who we're both talking about today, people like to kind of box Shengun into a certain box in terms of the player type that he's going to be. A lot of people say, well, you know, he's a back to the basket, old fashioned plodding big. Is he going to work in today's NBA? And I would say, number one, he is so young, like he could totally change the type of player and obviously the skills that he has moving forward. And also most great players just aren't the same player throughout their whole career. Right. So what I like to say is, okay, yes, he is a great back to the basket player and he does have those skills, but why is he so good at that? What makes him so good? And in terms of looking at why he's such a good back to the basket player, can we extract those talents and those skills and use them elsewhere? And what I see with him is, again, like I mentioned at the beginning, elite touch, elite feet, elite hands. And I'm talking like the best of the best. So I don't think he's like necessarily just a back to the basket big. I think he's a guy that can be kind of a hub of an offense where he's running handoffs into screens on the perimeter. He could be a fantastic big rolling or popping. And so I don't think it's wise to necessarily box him in to, oh yeah, this guy is just a back-to-the-basket, old-fashioned, plotting big. I think that would be kind of limiting him in terms of what he could be, and I, I don't think that's necessarily fair or kind of the best way to look at him as a prospect. Definitely, and as you mentioned, he's only 18 years old. Now, something, and, and, and it's not necessarily always like a one-for-one one indicator, but he shot really well at the free-throw line on a lot of attempts. Like, he was great at getting the line. He shot about, I think, 82% at the free-throw line. He has good touch around the rim. And, you know, he didn't make a ton of shots from the mid-range to the three-point line, but to me, he looks like he's somebody who could develop a shot. How important do you think that is for him to develop at least, at the very least, like a reliable mid-range game and maybe even a three-point game to really expand and open up the rest of his game? Like, is that what's, is that what's going to make him not, not a transcendent offensive player because there really are so few of them, but someone who's genuinely, like, dangerous at the NBA level? Yeah, so I think that is very important. And also, I would say I have little to no worry that the three-point shot's going to happen with him. With guys that are that elite, that have that skill and touch, like you said, 
he meets the indicators with the free throws as well. I just really believe that that's going to happen. And also what's funny is he's become this NBA prospect, right? So at some point, kind of midway through his season, he started gaining a ton of traction as an NBA prospect. But these were the questions were, you know, can he shoot out to the three-point line? And you could tell he started to hear that feedback because he started working on that. And in games, he started taking, like there was a game I watched where he started taking a couple step back threes, uh, like sidestep threes, threes off the dribble. And like this guy is just so skilled that to me, the jump shot is not the worry. But if you were to ask me what is actually my main concern with him, it would actually be the size because... Right now, he's listed, thought to be between 6'9 and 6'10. And if he does end up being kind of on the low end of that, to me, actually, even more so than the defense, if he's a little bit of a 4'5 tweener and is really kind of 6'9, to me, that's actually, that size might be the biggest cap in terms of the player that he can be. Yeah, and I think that's a really important thing to mention. And, I, you know, I didn't really consider it too much for offense, but definitely for the defensive end. Like, he's not particularly long either. I don't think there's an actual legitimate measurement for his wingspan yet. But it looks to be about on par with his height. So I would guess somewhere around 6'9 to 6'10. And even though there are some concerns there on the defensive end that I think are very valid, like you mentioned, like how versatile can he be? What kind of coverages can he play? Um, you know, he probably doesn't have a ton of positional versatility but I think one of the things that I really like from some of the few games that I did watch is it seems like he has a really high motor. Like he's always engaged. And I think that's really like half the battle sometimes in the NBA is being engaged. And he is really young. Do you think that's maybe an overrated aspect, just having a, a high motor? Or do you, do you kind of buy into at least my thought process is that if it's, if it's a guy who has a high motor who's maybe not a great defender, but he's at least trying hard, like – He's 18 years old. Maybe he can be salvaged into, you know, an average to above average defender at the NBA level in the right circumstance. No, I think that's a great point in terms of the high activity, in terms of being involved in plays. uh, You mentioned just the motor. It tends to run hot, especially offensively and like on the boards at times. This the stance that he gets into in his positioning defensively is a concern, but I think that's more just a byproduct of his age and just the lack of development or coaching on that side at this point. I mean, that's the case with a lot of the prospects this, you know, at this point in their development. Uh, So it's not like he is just an outlier in terms of being bad on that end. He shows signs where he is incredibly nimble at his size. Like my favorite thing to watch with him is when he posts up, he can feel the guy on his back And he has this spin move out of the post that is, like, ridiculous. And he does it a couple times a game. But he also uses that defensively where he'll be out of position for a second, then react. Like you said, he's got that activity. And he'll get over there and pin the ball on the glass and then chase it down in the corner. And it's like those things you just typically do not see out of, you know, your normal plotting bigs. And so I I just tend to not want to put a cap on how good this guy can really be. But certainly, like, the defense and the size would be kind of the main concerns that you would point to. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. And we'll kind of – we'll talk a few more points with Shingun and then move on to Giddy. With Mm -hmm. Shingun, 
I look at him and what, when I watch him, it seems like he's at 18 years old. It's impressive. He has moves. He has counter moves. He has, you know, up fakes. He, he steps through. He has drop steps. It just seems like he's really advanced for his age. Now, I think some people see the numbers like 19 and 9 and, and the, you hear the thing or well, he's dominating grown men in one of the best leagues in the world, bar none. And some people might say, OK, well, when he comes to the NBA, is that what he's going to be doing? And I, I don't think that's going to be the case. So in your eyes, what do you think his role is going to look like as a rookie? Because really, for most rookies, they're not that impactful coming into the NBA. But do you think he has a chance to be? And what does his role look like sort of coming in the NBA, if you had to guess? Yeah, that that's interesting. Like, no, I would not bank on him putting up 19 and 9 as a rookie in the NBA. But I do think he'd certainly be kind of a serviceable backup big for the Spurs right now. For example, if he was picked there. And also one other point to go along and kind of piggyback off what you were saying is sometimes I do think that we tend to think that, you know, the guys with high potential or a high ceiling, we think those are the guys with the highest vertical or the longest arms. We, we tend to equate high ceiling with physical traits and athleticism when I do think we shortchange the potential ceiling of guys that are just elite skill level guys at a young age. We think, oh, this is kind of just what they are. When in reality, guys that are this good, this young, have the potential to reach elite levels of skill. And we've seen that recently with guys like Jokic, for example. And so I would just, I would caution to not put a cap on him in terms of, well, he's not necessarily like an elite athlete with a 7'3 wingspan, so his potential's not that great. To me, I've kind of learned to steer a bit clear of that. Yeah, and, and I think that's totally fair. And to be honest with you, I, I still – I'm not sure that I'm there where if he's there at 12 that you pick him necessarily. But I'd love your opinion on that. If, he, if he's there at 12 when the Spurs are on the clock and let's say you know maybe Giddy's on the board, maybe um, somebody like you know Usman Garuba's on the board or even someone – uh, you know, one of the one of the Tennessee kids like Keon Johnson or, or Jaden Springer is on the board. Do you still take him, or, or are you looking at other people? No. So to be clear, the the second guy we're going to talk about here, I clearly prefer Josh Giddy to me. I do prefer Shengun to Keon Johnson, and I forgot who else you asked specific, specifically about. I think I mentioned Jaden Springer, but I was just curious, like if he would be someone yeah. who you would take at twelve, or do you think there, there probably will be guys who are um, so, more highly yeah. rated who might be available there still? No, so Shen Goon wouldn't be my number one pick. I'm more so just saying he wouldn't be a bad pick there if they were to make it. Uh, like it seems like some people do believe, like Shen Goon is going to finish in the ten to fifteen range on my board, whereas. The second guy we're going to talk about here, Josh Giddy, to me is the clear number five prospect to me in this class. He's one of kind of my guys that I do like more than the consensus. Yeah, big fan of him. But yeah, I don't think Shengun would likely be my choice. Obviously, it depends on who falls, who's there on draft night. But I'm more so saying that, yeah, he would not be a bad pick there, though there will be a couple guys that I would prefer. Sure. Then I mean, I think let's go ahead and move on to Giddy then since we're already kind of yeah. talking about him. I really like him. I don't think I watched enough film on him to have like a nuanced evaluation of Giddy. I saw the, a really phenomenal video that uh, PD Webb did with – and I can't remember the, the guy's name. I really like him too. He's a great follow on Twitter as well. But they, they broke him down. I thought it was really interesting. And I want to get your opinion of Josh Giddy. You know, what are, what are his strengths? What are his weaknesses heading into the draft? 
And, you know, what do you think he can bring to an NBA team from day one? Yeah, so I think there are kind of a lot of through lines or parallels with the two prospects we're talking about here in that they're both international and they've both been very productive from a young age in professional leagues. And we do have now, like we saw LaMelo and RJ Hampton last year and Giddy is putting up numbers that are very good and comparable. He basically was a triple double threat every night. So, you know, he's a six foot eight. They're saying now maybe six foot nine. He's put on some weight this off season, but he is basically kind of like a borderline savant basketball player where just his passing and his processing of the game offensively is very, very good. Kind of similar to like a Tyrese Halliburton or LaMelo kind of from last year. I just think he's a legitimately fantastic passer at that age. And so at the least, guys who are six foot nine and can run pick and roll, can pass and are just very high feel, high IQ guys, those guys tend to not fail. They tend to find ways to at least just contribute at the minimum. But I think he has a pretty high ceiling as well. Yeah, and I, I think he's very unique as a prospect. He's someone who I've kind of, I kind of kept track of him last year when, I, when he was getting on my radar and I wanted to watch more games and I just didn't get a chance to watch as many games as I wanted to. And like you mentioned, the National Basketball League in Australia is probably a league that most people aren't familiar with. I know a lot of people know that RJ Hampton came from there. We saw um, LaMelo Ball come from there. Can you give people sort of an idea of the level of competition in Australia? Because I see this point made by a few people that, you know, you can sort of discredit his success because it's just the National Basketball League. And I think it's a better league than people give it credit for. Yeah, someone in the comments put Giddy's only 6'8". Yeah, he might be, but there's rumors he's up to 6'9". Either way, that's a big wing. And he's only like, what, is he 18? I think he's, he's still, still 18. 18 right now. Yeah, so I mean, he could continue to grow too. But the reports are that he's 6'9 now, but who knows. In terms of the NBL, though, what I will say is that, yeah, like it's a good, it's a legitimate league now. I will say that, like, the bigs in that league are pretty bad. And, I mean, they're still, like, they're still professional players. But the premier <laughs> guys are, are better. And you've probably seen some lowlights, whether it was LaMelo kind of dishing and feeding a guy for a layup and him blowing it. And the same thing happened to Giddy a lot this year. And I've posted some of those clips as well myself. But, I mean, it's a good level of competition. Like I said, we, we now have the template. We saw... Lamelo put up good stats but inefficient last year comes over to the nba no problem pretty easy transition also i was a guy that was pretty high on rj hampton last year and i think a little under the radar he had a pretty solid second half to the season as well so i think we can derive from these numbers that they they do have real value that it means something so i i was very impressed but also not surprised because I was already a fan of Giddy from watching him uh, in the past. Yeah, and and I think one of the last things I want to talk about Giddy here is, you know, for me, I think the shooting is a little bit of a concern. His frame, and like he has added weight to his frame, and you're right, he's still growing. But when when I think of Giddy, the frame is just slightly concerning to me because he is so so thin. Do you think that's going to be a problem at the next level in terms of defense? And what do you think about his shooting, like? I know he started very cold at the start of the year, like awful. It was really, really bad, and he sort of picked it up towards the second half. wasn't you know great or anything, but it certainly was a little encouraging. What do you think about those two things in particular? 
Yeah, so the jump shooting isn't necessarily a natural thing for him. He's had to work on it a lot, but we've seen a lot of improvement on his shot over the last 12 months, both in terms of just the numbers, but also the form. And it just, it looks a little bit more natural for him. You can tell he's put the time in and yeah, the numbers have borne that out. He's even taken some kind of later in the season off the dribble that looked better, but you know, that's all that is going to be a question mark. And the jump shot is a question mark. It is a swing skill with 75% of NBA prospects, right? I mean, Pretty much everyone we talk about, the jump shot is the swing skill. And also with these kids being so young at 18, at 19, oftentimes the weight, the strength, especially functionally, how do they look on a court? I mean, there's a reason why very few rookies come in and actually contribute to winning basketball right away is because they need to continue to grow in their bodies and refine their skill sets. So yeah, like, no, I, I don't think it's going to be super easy for him to come in year one. And yeah, like his frame, he's not an elite athlete. Uh, so, I mean, it will be an issue at first, but I just think he is like a very, very skilled kid that it's just that you know it when you see it special ability with the ball and as a passer that he's had at all levels growing up. And it translated right away. He had no problem playing against the NBL, which, you know, going back to what we were talking about with the NBL is it is a pretty physical league and a lot of the international leagues are a bit more physical. The NBA is a bit more spaced out. So going back to LaMelo again is he had problems with the physicality. He had problems, you know, taking that contact, playing through contact. But I think physically with the space, with the pace in the NBA, to me, he looked better physically than I expected. And I think that's just kind of the case with today's NBA. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm 100% there with you. I agree with you there. And I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked you with Shingu. Now, if Giddy is on the board at 12, which I don't really expect him to be, is he someone the Spurs absolutely have to take if he's there? Yeah, to me, he would be the number one target for me. Like I said, he's the clear number five prospect in this class. So I have... I have Cade in a tier by himself, and then I have the next three guys uh, in Suggs, Green, and Mobley in a tier together. And then I have Giddy at five after that. So, you know, looking at the Spurs roster, too, one thing I think they could use is an infusion of some passing. I just don't know how many kind of plus passers they have for their position, plus some size. Whether he does end up becoming more of a primary or if he's kind of a wing you know, whichever of those uh, he hits in terms of his in terms of his outcome at the NBA level, I, I view him as kind of the highest upside prospect and just the best prospect. But I, I do tend to agree with you. I don't think he will be there when the Spurs are on the board picking. I think he's probably gone before then. I'll be, you know, it's wishful thinking a little bit on my part. I'll keep my fingers crossed. And I do think like if he is there, the Spurs should probably take him. Like there shouldn't be a second thought about that. And like you said, with the passing, like they could probably use an injection of passing considering DeMar DeRozan may not be back. Yep. And he was their lead assist man. You know, he, he really was the engine of the offense for them. And I'm not saying that's necessarily what Giddy's going to be from day one, but maybe he can replace some of that down the road. And we'll sort of move on now to a more Spurs-focused topic, still a little bit draft. You and mm-hmm. I were both really high on Devin Vassell last year. Remind me, how high was he on your board? I think like number four, I believe. Yeah, I was very high on him. 
Cody, my co-host, was even higher. And I'm sure this is going to be kind of your question coming up next is, has our evaluation changed? And my short answer to that would be no. I, I still really like him as a prospect moving forward. Well, you read my mind 100% because I also had him pretty high, high on my board. He was f- a fifth on my big board last year, and I'm still pretty confident in my evaluation. I don't think I was as high on him in terms of uh, you know, what he might be able to do at the next level as y'all, but I still was very, very high on him. So it hasn't changed too much for you. It hasn't no. really changed that much for me, and I'm not sure how much Spurs basketball you watched this season, so it's okay if you haven't. I really wouldn't blame you if you didn't see much. They were a losing team, but from what you saw – what did you like from Vassell last season? And, and maybe what are some areas you're looking for him to make progress in during year two? Yeah, so at the minimum, I would go through and just watch like Vassell, like the plays involving Vassell just because I wanted to track his progress. And obviously, I caught some Spurs games as well. I thought the defense was good, and I thought he shot well, more so on standstills from the corner. But, you know, just with the Spurs, especially with rookies in the past, Unless you're Tim Duncan, most rookies haven't produced it at a super high level under Popovich. And especially, this is something I've harped on in the past, is we didn't expect these rookies to come in and have a huge impact. Number one, because most rookies just don't as rookies. But you have to remember that there was very little training camp, very little practice throughout the year. Everything was kind of thrown off with COVID, the whole shortened offseason. And so... I just wasn't really expecting that much. Now, a couple of the guys with LaMelo, Edwards, Halliburton, yeah, they're a bit ahead of the game. But that doesn't mean that I changed my evaluation of Vassell at all. And, you know, at at points throughout the year, they let him do a little bit of self-creation. You know, not too much, but that is something that I still believe in in terms of getting his own off the bounce, in terms of his pull-up jumper, And I still think he's going to be a very, very high-level defender. I thought in terms of the deflections and his activity, I thought in looking at the stats on-off numbers defensively, they were better with him on the floor this year. So, you know, all those things kind of mixed in. It was about what I expected. My evaluation of him moving forward hasn't really changed. I still think some type of, uh, you know, what you're seeing from Mikal Bridges right now is still kind of what I expect from Vassell. And, you know, looking at him as a template, it it took him, you know, three years to get to where he is. And I I think, you know, we can kind of expect something from Vassell where I expect an improvement from him this year. But two, three years from now, I I really think he's going to be a solid starter in a team that everyone can use, who can be a very good off-ball defender, can switch a bit, and can really shoot it. Those guys on the wing are valuable to every NBA team. Yeah, and that's a, those are some really great points, and I do think I really would like to drive that home that, yes, there, there was no sort of long training camp period, COVID affected everything, the lack of practices, you know, shortened preseason, the condensed schedule, really everything was working against all these players who were coming into the league who had to learn new playbooks, new terminology, so I'm not making excuses for Vassell or really any rookie, but I am giving an explanation for why I think maybe we didn't see some rookies produce like we expected. And actually, you know, I actually, I felt like Vassell was pretty on par with what I expected. And I said one thing coming into the, the, the year last season was, I think he's going to play from day one and he probably won't have a big role, but he's probably going to be somewhere in the 20 minutes per game range. He may come off the bench. He may get a start here or there. And that's exactly what he did. So I'm, I'm happy with what I saw from him. I'm excited to see what he does in year two, because again, if DeMar DeRozan is gone, 
Patty Mills could be gone. Rudy Gay could be gone. Trey Lyles could be gone. Gorgie Jen could be gone. Obviously, those guys are not playing his position. But it does take some touches and puts it right back into the offense. And I think he's going to get some of those. So I'm excited to see what he does there. And I appreciate your insight on all these guys from Giddy to Shingoon to Vassell. I'm excited mm-hmm. to see what the Spurs do in the draft here. But we're going to move on to sort of the last portion here where I'm going to bring people up on the stage. And before I bring anyone up on the stage, I just want to let you know uh, you can give a hot take and we'll go back and forth a little bit. We'll try to keep it relatively short. We don't, we don't want to be going back and forth for like 10 minutes or anything like that. And uh, we're also going to be doing sort of Q&A as well. So if you have any questions for me or Sam or both of us, just request and I'll get you up on the stage and we can do this about 15 minutes and then we'll head out of here. I'll go ahead and bring Evan on real quick and then we'll bring on Pierre. Hey, what's going on, Evan? How you doing? How's it going? How's it going? Great. Great. Uh, what's, your, what's your hot take or what are your questions? So um, I was saying in the comments earlier and even, even somebody saying it right now, the whole Patty Mills situation. Now, the only player, the only player out of the out of the two, out of, actually the only player um, not mentioned that this, that can actually drop down to the Spurs that a lot of people see him falling is Corey Kispert. Now, if Corey Kispert's on the board, it's like him and Josh Giddy. I, I mean, I love I love Sinkin's game, Sinkin's game. I can't pronounce his name to save my life, but at the end of the day, I I, no I, 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 I just. I, <laughs> Too, too much of a project for right now and the player he can develop himself into will be translated way better in Austin. Give him two years in Austin and this kid can come back ready to rock and roll as not, not I don't want to say a starter, but giving, giving, getting hefty minutes, hefty minutes and maybe in clutch time. That's the, that's the type of confidence I saw when I, when I see him play. He is, he is not only 18, but he's very, very confident. And when you put that in a, in a situation where he's not getting any playing time, just stuck in Austin, he's behind Drew Eubanks, he's behind all these guys. It's just like, yo, I, I just don't see that very offset translating. So he's off the board. Now it's between Josh Giddy and Kispert. Now the thing with Josh Giddy is I don't know the relationship between, between him and Patty Mills. If Patty Mills comes back, do you do you put Josh Giddy in in Austin? Do you have him? Do you have him? Barely coming up to, to San Antonio to get a, to get a good amount of minutes, or do you try and push him maybe in the three or the four? That brings up a question that I'll end with: What do the Spurs do with the four? What are they going to do at their power forward? A lot of uh, now I know Josh Giddey's not going to get starting minutes at the four, but the what um, what Sam was saying earlier: Spurs need some uh, some playmaking. They need a bad. They need a, a good wing passer. A good lane driver just to kick out to, to open shooters at the end of the day uh I, I don't want a wing to be giving to get to be having the most amount of assists it's not really the bet it doesn't translate unless it's a superstar really in the nba to, when it comes down to success and wins but if you were to put him in that situation if you can't get someone like ben simmons which is highly unlikely at this point if you can't get somebody in free agency that can that can facilitate you're looking at a um at a I had a, miss, a lot of missed opportunities here, and, you know, I, that's, that's all I got to say for now. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your question. We'll go ahead and address it. I'll send you back yeah, thank to, you. The, uh, to the stage. And so I guess I'll go first. I think when I look at the Spurs roster, I would absolutely avoid Corey Kispert at 12, not because I don't think Corey Kispert is a good player, and he definitely fits a need. You know, we've talked about this uh, a ton on this podcast where the Spurs finished last in three-point attempts, makes – three-point rate, and they finished 24th or 25th in three-point percentage. But I think that's not a great investment 
at 12, and I'm not saying he is Joe Harris or Doug McDermott, but when you have players of, like, I guess, a similar archetype, would you take those guys at 12? Would you trade those guys for 12? And I think the Spurs should be looking at acquiring the best talent because while I do think that they have one of the best young cores in terms of just collective talent, I think they're missing someone who could be that sort of home run, all-star sort of player. And between Corey Kispert and Josh Giddy, to me, it's easily Josh Giddy because Josh Giddy's 18 years old. He has some really, really important skills that you want to see at the next level. And I'm not saying Corey Kispert doesn't have any skills that you can value at the next level, but he's already 22. He'll probably be 23 relatively soon. And I, I think I'd be rather more ready to bet on Josh Giddy. Uh, Sam, what do you feel about that? Yeah, I completely agree. You know, when you look at these prospects, you do have to include their age and you kind of have to look at it as like an arc or a graph by age. And to me, Corey Kispert has already gone through a significant amount of his development arc. Whereas, you know, as Noah was just adding, uh, Josh Giddy has yet to get to that. He's like four years behind. So just think of, to me right now, like you could argue which player is better, Giddy or Kispert. But if you're saying Giddy four years from now or Kispert, to me, like that shouldn't even be close. And also, like you were saying, and like I mentioned earlier, the Spurs could use an infusion of passing. And I just, I don't really see Kispert bringing much in at an NBA level other than shooting. But just, you know, looking at what the Spurs have right now, kind of what I was thinking is if you can picture kind of three, four years from now, Vassell, Keldon Johnson, and Josh Giddy at your two through four spots, to me, those guys really balance each other out and really complement each other really well. So I'm kind of wishing right now and kind of picturing that in my mind. But I think those three guys, because Vassell and Keldon bring, you know, a bit more of the defense, Vassell more of the shooting, Keldon a bit more of the power game and physicality. Then you balance that out with Giddy's playmaking size and vision. To me, that would be that would be an awesome kind of three-man group on the wing there. Yeah, and I do think that would be a really interesting mix there. And, and just talking about, and I, I know that um, that Evan had mentioned, you know, is he somebody who's going to spend a lot of time in Austin? You know, maybe. He could spend some time in Austin. Everybody, pretty much every rookie, with the exception of Vassell, uh, George Hill, Dewan Blair, and Tim Duncan, have spent uh, the majority of their rookie season, if not all of it, in Austin. But, you know, honestly, I don't really think that they're going to do that. I mean, to me, they, they don't have a clear direction but I do think that the Spurs have sort of moved more towards that youth movement. They had the youngest roster in, in the Popovich era last year. It'll be even younger next year if Patty and, and Rudy and DeMar are gone. And so I do think if you're investing in Giddy at 12, sure, he might spend a little bit of time in Austin, but I do think they'd like to get him reps in San Antonio in the NBA from day one. So we'll go ahead and move on to the next person who we brought on stage. We've got Pierre, uh, a green room regular. How you doing, Pierre? Hey, doing well. Thanks for having me up. I, just to piggyback, I think for sure they need to go with whoever they think has the highest ceiling. Because I don't know if you heard the uh, Bill Simmons pod with uh, Ryan Rosilla recently where they sort of drafted all 30 teams, their best duo, essentially. Yeah, that was sad. <laughs> and, and I couldn't even argue with it. As much <laughs> as I love Dante, I couldn't even argue with it. It was it was sad. But uh no, my, I guess my question is, I'm not following like the draft and the, and the 
combine and the interviews as closely, but is there anything linking the Spurs to like someone like Shingun other than the fact that he's like an international player and people just associate that with the Spurs? And I know like there's no like leaks that come from the Spurs. That's not like their style, but is there anything beyond that that has those two sort of tied together? I really don't think so. And like I, I went through a bunch of the big, you know, national media mock drafts. Four of them have the Spurs taking Shingun. Three of them have uh, the Spurs taking Giddy. And as far as I'm concerned, I, I only know that the Spurs have worked out or interviewed 12 prospects. None of them are Shingun or Giddy. Uh, and, and maybe they have worked out for the Spurs. Like you said, the Spurs are really close to the vest. They don't let things get out. They don't leak anything. So it's very possible that I don't know or other reporters don't know and they did. But for now, I do think that, yeah, it's probably just because they are international players and the Spurs have sort of been associated with international basketball and bringing that sort of international talent into the organization for a long time. Um, Sam, I, I'll ask you, but is that sort of where you stand on that? And have you heard anything? I mean, I, I personally, I haven't. Yeah, well, just the international thing. And then, I mean, this kind of goes without saying, but I mean, uh, Shangun is projected to go in that range. And so that's just why you'll see him slotted to the the Spurs in a couple mock drafts that you'll see. I don't think there's really been too much out there really connecting many prospects at, at this point. I think that's going to start to heat up over the next three weeks leading up to the draft. So right now, I think, you know, most people and most sites, whether it's the Athletic or ESPN or the Ringer, they just kind of have their big board rank them based on what they're hearing and what their analysis is. And since most people have Shangun kind of in the 10 to 15 range or so on their boards, uh, that's just kind of the range that he slotted in. So the Spurs are just kind of naturally linked. And then also the, the international thing, like you guys mentioned. And uh, well, we'll go ahead and welcome Patrick Garcia on here. How are you doing? And what's your question or what's your hot take? Hey, Mello, thanks for having me on here, man. Uh, I mean, my question, I'm just not too focused as much on the draft since we have a few young guys already. My uh, concern was going to be with uh, the forward position. I uh, I love uh, Jakob. I think uh, Kel- uh, Keldon's great and Drew's okay. But is there any chance that the Spurs are looking to upgrade to a forward that could find his own uh, basket on down low or at least seal his man and get Spurs some easy buckets? Because I know it's all about three-point shooting right now, but Life's a lot easier when you can just get a, a two-second basket from a big guy down low. And I don't see anybody on the on the roster that could do that currently. Yeah, I, I agree with your take there that there's not really anybody at that position who can do that currently. And I'll ask you a question in return, and then we'll go ahead and circle back to your question. Is there anybody who you would want them to target in particular? That way I can sort of have an idea of, of the player who you might be interested in for the Spurs. As far as a specific player, I can't think of like a like a mid tier forward that we could go for because I know there's the there's the, the Anthony Davis, the Jokic's, the, the superstars that'll always get their baskets down low. But I I mean I know we were looking at Kelly Oubre. I don't know if he can create down low. I'm not too sure with him. But just in general, just a a forward that could find his shot, or maybe Keldon could develop a back to the basket Westbrook style play. But uh, I I can't think of anybody currently. Yeah, no, I'm, I I like Keldon Johnson a lot, but I don't really think he projects as someone who gets a lot of his own offense. Like nearly 70% of his buckets last season were assisted, and that was pretty much the same for him when he was in the bubble during his rookie season, which was like pretty much the only time we got to see him during his rookie season. I don't know who you would go after. Personally, I and I talked about this with Mark Schindler on a, on a 
previous episode of the podcast. Like, I wouldn't be opposed to adding Kelly Oubre, but I don't think he's the guy who's going to just go get you, you know, he's going to go get his own offense and suddenly it's going to solve the Spurs problems. Sam, I mean, I'd love to hear what you have to say on that because the only other person who's been mentioned by Spurs circles is John Collins. And I think at this point, everybody sort of knows where I stand on him. Um, yeah, so I'll start with Oubre. I'm actually a big Golden State Warriors fan. And based off this experience from last year, I'll say you guys can take Kelly Oubre. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a huge fan of his game. I, I just think he's an empty calorie guy that really doesn't equate to winning games. So are we talking exclusively free agents here, or, or are we including potential draft picks? Because, I mean, we talked about Shen Goon. So in terms of getting a basket at the rim, he's probably the guy. But, I mean, he's a big. So if you're talking forwards, like Kai Jones, potentially, but he, he's a complete development guy. Like, he's not going to be playing for the Spurs next year. Yeah, anybody else that comes to mind, Noah, in terms of, like, free agents, I guess? You meant John Collins would be really good but i i mean yeah, yeah i mean I, I we've know. talked to we've talked about john collins before on, on previous episodes of the podcast and sort of where i stand on john collins is i don't think he would be a bad addition by any means they probably would have to offer him the max and yeah. for him that would be about 28 million the uh, for the first year up? i think I mean, it makes sense of... with the timeline but to okay. me I, i'm not sure how much he brings so, and I'd love to get your opinion on this. I've sort of asked everybody about it at this point who who I talk to in basketball circles. John Collins last year, eighty percent of his buckets were assisted. Sixty five percent of them were assisted by Trey um, yeah. Trey Young. Uh, yeah. I don't think the Spurs have anybody on this roster who comes close to being the playmaker or providing the sort of gravity as a shooter and a scorer that Trey Young does. And the Spurs, like we mentioned earlier, one of the worst three point shooting teams in the NBA. Whereas the Atlanta Hawks have several guys who are threats from the outside. And uh, I just don't really know that you can maximize John Collins here. Like, I think if he comes here, he's probably asked to do more than he's doing in Atlanta. So his usage goes up. He's in a significantly lesser situation in terms of the spacing and the playmakers around him. So his efficiency probably goes down a little bit, even if his per game numbers go up. So I'm just slightly concerned. And obviously a two game sample size is not everything. But without Trey Young, he hasn't looked very good these last couple of games in the playoffs, which obviously, again, two-game sample sizes and everything. But that would be my only concern, that adding him doesn't move the needle enough, and then you're yeah. stuck again in that sort of seventh, eighth seed and just sort of kicking the wheels, hoping that the 12th, 11th, 13th overall pick pans out into a superstar, which is just such a low percentage bet. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'd be hesitant to play John Collins the max. Like you said, it's hard to know, and the stats bear it out, that guys that play with elite creators, elite gravity guys like a Trey Young, whether it's him, Luca, Steph Curry, you just don't really know how those guys are going to translate when they have to take on more of the load, more of the usage on their own. And I would tend to side with you that I would be very hesitant to pay John Collins the max and for him to come in and kind of be the best player on the team so that's why I go back to the draft and I think you take the best player available which to me if Giddy is there he's got the highest ceiling in terms of a potential creator uh, at that size and I mean maybe they you know who knows if this happens maybe flirt with the idea of potentially trading up uh, I don't know if that is something that could happen but I just think it's almost more likely that the Spurs find that guy through the draft than through free agency. 
Yeah, I'm on board there with you. And we'll go ahead and start wrapping things up. So before I let you go, um, let everybody know where they can follow you on Twitter, uh, where they can find any of your podcasts, any of your content. Yeah, so thanks everyone for listening today. Um, you can follow us at Draft Dummies on Twitter. And I'm doing a lot of work there, especially as we gear up with about a month to go till the draft. I'm posting you know, clips that I'm watching, I'm posting stats or, you know, any thoughts that come to mind with regard to either the NBA or the draft. And then every Wednesday, we do a show on the Locked On NBA Draft channel. And we do everything from mock drafts to scouting reports to player rankings. So yeah, if you guys are kind of wanting to get into the NBA draft material kind of over the next month, I think it is a, a good place to help you get started. I definitely agree. I love everything that y'all have been doing. I've been following y'all for a few years now. Um, the Locked On Draft podcast is phenomenal. Not just y'all, but you've got you know Mavs Draft yeah. on there, Rafael Barlow. Y'all are doing some great stuff over there. So Spurs fans, or really any NBA fans who are in this room right now, go check it out. Follow everybody on Twitter. They're doing great stuff. Um, but everyone, really, thank you so much for, for tuning into this edition of Alamo City Limits. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to join me in Spotify Green Room every Friday at 5 p.m. for a Spurs fan Q&A. We've got a fantastic staff of writers over at Pounding the Rock who do an amazing job of keeping you up to date with your favorite team. So check our stuff out, too. But until next time, Spurs fans, take care.